On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, you'll hear my interview with former Pacer C.J. Miles as we first talked about the unrest and negativity in the country, then had fun going back in time to discuss his three seasons with the Pacers, how he had the late Jerry Sloan and Larry Bird in his corner, how he was a great teammate, and what Indy means to him. Hi, how are you? I feel good. So I just finished my dinner. I finished my dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Talk to you later. And welcome into another episode of the Fieldhouse Files. I'm Scott Agnes. Well, C.J. Miles is one of the most memorable players to play in Indiana this decade. He first was drafted by the Jazz as a teenager out of high school back in 2005 and later signed with the Pacers in 2014 after two seasons in Cleveland. It was the year Paul George suffered a compound fracture, but throughout his time with the Pacers, Miles did whatever they needed, whatever they asked of him. And while statistics don't necessarily define his game really at all. It is notable, however, that his top scoring average in his NBA career was in year one with the blue and gold when he averaged 13 and a half points per game. During those three years, he became close with George Hill and Jan Mihimi, and despite being on separate teams now, they spend the offseason together in Texas. And Miles, of course, was one of the best quotes during his tenure with the Pacers. Full disclosure now, this interview was recorded last month. It was actually the night before the Athletic had layoffs and I was part of it, hence the delay in finally sharing it with all of you. But in the meantime, I, I do want to express my gratitude for you listeners and readers out there. And I just ask that you make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on whichever media platform you listen to and consider taking an extra minute to leave a review for me on Apple Podcasts. Art has promised bringing in one of the Fan favorites here recently for the Indiana Pacers at C.J. Miles uh, who's with his daughter Ava, enjoying uh, what they can for right now. But uh, C.J., before I get into kind of the fun stuff through your career and, and going straight to the NBA, those sorts of things, I think it's important to, to discuss kind of what's happening in our world and our communities um, and everything. So I guess I'll start by saying how you doing and share with me what's on your heart right now. What would you like to start with? Um, that's uh, it's, it's hard, man, because... Where we at now, like you got a you got a, a lot of people who've been who've been through a lot of things. Who've been hurt, who've been lied to, who've been given hope for things to change and do certain things and and they and it hasn't happened. And then on top of that, the same things are happening. Um and I'm I'm one of those people like I'm trying, I understand, but at the same time, I just ask people to like to value their life. That's my biggest thing that I've been talking to about my people that I know that have been out there or friends I've talked to that are thinking about doing things. Just know, and this is, and, and valuing your life is not a black or white thing. That's everybody in general, because that would get us to the point that we're trying to get to. Everybody valuing another person's life and their own in a certain way. And right now, that's, that's my biggest thing with, with the people that are protesting and and peacefully protesting and, and doing certain things, it's just you know what's getting people hurt in the in the streets right now. And if you want to make a change, I don't I don't know if doing something that is gonna get get you in a in a bad position is gonna help the change. One, you won't see it. One, your family is now a part of the raged people that are out in the streets, like you. We're creating, we're putting ourselves, and this is not to the people that are doing it the right way. I'm speaking on the people that are out there taking advantage of the situation. They're yeah. putting people that are doing it the right way in danger. 
because the people that are getting getting hit and getting shot at and things like those are the people most of those people are the people trying to do it the right way it's just the the rage that's being created around them obviously you know it's going to feed into everything because it's one was one big crowd to the people who also feel like that they're trying to protect themselves too and there's there's a lot you know um and, and we and we know what it is everybody does that's the thing that's the thing that's the killer that i think for people especially right now in this very moment we watch the man be murdered mm-hmm. and that's not just black everybody watched that man be murdered like that's the problem um and the evidence in front of a bunch of people including myself shows you that it is not something that he did besides his skin color that's leading to that end result and that's and that's the thing like that's where everybody at least that I know and myself have been in situations I've been in like and that's the thing too like it's at a point now where there's no more of that those those guys that are like us that make it to the NBA or become professional athletes and Mm -hmm. you feel like they're out of touch with it and that's not the case because it's happening everywhere and to anybody that looks like me the biggest concern for me moving forward right now i think cj is the fact that a lot of angst like there's so much negativity in the yes. world just in general and i think mm-hmm. and, I'm, and i'm talking even going back to covid and now what do you have 40 yeah. million lost jobs then you yes. have this which is a productive conversation but i think all of it as a collective is yes. there's just so much anger and angst about everything and yeah, so one little thing is sparking um yeah. Rather than conversation, a lot of times is sparking disagreement. Yeah. I even think we saw that here uh, in the recent days, especially. Yeah. It's wild because they talk about how people feel like um, history repeats itself, and a lot of times, you know, but that's because we've been doing like we're a community that fears wisdom. Like everybody knows everything, but nobody wants to apply it to every day. So, like, plenty of people knew the things that have been going on in our country, and that's besides black the the black the the police brutality that black people feel there's a lot of things that we know and we just been kind of living and just letting it go it's like it is what it is type of thing and 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 the, the famous quote is you know any type of injustice is you know injustice to everything it's a slippery slope I'm curious, did you know Chris Beatty at all? I'm not sure if the news has gotten to you either. Uh, he was a local club promoter, worked at clubs around town here, and he was uh, shot while he was trying to save a couple of people in downtown Indy over the weekend, for example. I did not, I did not know I didn't. I did not know him. Okay. I, fi- I figured you might just because, he, you know, no. a lot I of guys, like, George Hill, like name, all those guys knew I him. I didn't know him. Yeah. That makes sense. Like, like somebody, I definitely knew someone that did probably. You know what I mean? Sure. But it's just it's just a wild thing. It's a sad thing, man. Um, it's sad for for people that are disconnected and don't understand and they're trying to understand and they're being and because of all the angst and the rage, some of those people are being met with rage and they're picking a side that they really don't want to pick. And then at the same time, there's people that are downright evil in in our world that are just because this. It isn't in my. This is the last thing I say about it because I don't want to spend the whole time talking about it. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> you could go on for hours about yeah, this. Exactly. And this is worthwhile like, of a conversation. Mind, at this point, I don't see. It's not a flesh and blood battle. Like it's it's deeper than that now because it's been going on for so long. So it's not like people dying and us killing each other is not solving anything. 
It's never going to at this point because we've been doing that. Like, and that's proven to keep us in this circle. And that's not saying people should protect themselves. That's a different story. But what I'm saying is it's, it's a deeper situation in some places where something is being taught that's allowing people to literally hate someone for no reason at all. That's that's like the the, the deepest case of it. That's the, the the stem of it, the root of it, that has been taught from a time a long, long time ago that was supposed to be over, mm-hmm. and the mindset was still carried into a modern time, and then another modern time, and then you got kids who who thought that the end goal was to see a black president, a person in power, would be something that would help change it. And these kids have seen this for twenty years. Let's say. They're the kids that saw the greatest feat that they thought from a civil rights type of thing and nothing changed. So, of course, you tip. You tip. Like, because I got that and then I don't have a job. Then I can't make no money. Then I can't go outside. Then I can't. Like, it was it's a it was a weight that was just somebody was bound to just not want to carry it anymore. Yeah, and because of all that, that's where I'm really trying to have empathy for others. And, and it all goes back to everybody's dealing with something right now. And it feels like right now, everybody's dealing with a lot on their plate, whether it's mm-hmm. emotionally or physically, or they don't have jobs or what have you. Um, you and Lauren, your wife, obviously, considered maybe what it will be like. You're having conversations maybe with Ava, your daughter, down the road yeah, in 10, uh, it's, 15 it's years about oh, all of this. It's wild, though. It's wild. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> Especially, and then her sister that's about to be born in the next two, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Like, in the midst of this, like, um, but my biggest thing is that to do what I've always done, which is to carry myself in a manner that that would allow us to continue to bring change through action also. Not just to be talking. Like, I, I've taken pride in in that and what I was taught and what I would like to be taught and how I would like myself and my family to be treated and to treat people as such. And um, I think that's where it, it all starts until we all realize that somebody's got something on their plate. If that's never on your mind, yeah, then you're never going to, we're never going to be able to get past that. Like we're never going to be able to get, have enough empathy for people to ever want to have a real conversation. Like everybody's so mad about things that have been done in the past and things that are like the cycle continuing that it must be this way. There's so many people that have been living this way for so long and know nothing else. Like, and now you're, you're, you're charging the system from both sides. Like they look at us, like they look at black people, like they're charging the system. And then at the same time on the other side, we look like they disrespected it because they, they passed laws and amendments and rules that were supposed to stop it. (laughs) Like think about the fact that the new, um, the the uh, the new I'm I'm losing my mind on the word but the, they put out a report for the police and like the new rules I, I say that they were gonna have to abide by to be in the streets and the first thing it said was if a police officer sees someone doing misconduct they have to intervene oh why right. is that why is that just now on the list <laughs> yeah up in Minneapolis that was among the the changes it's like yes, that's a why given is that a change I right. thought that was the first job anyway yeah protect and serve right and for me it kind of goes along and. and with we're we're seeing teams put out statements and individuals and and I'm going back in my mind I I understand that and it's probably the right thing to do CJ but I'm also thinking well duh like condoning yeah. like you yeah. shouldn't have to say that because yeah. it should be understood 
but I get yeah. why why teams are having yeah. to do that. Me and my wife had a conversation about that, about like people that we know and friends that we have and people that we've been we come in contact with and like people ask us how do we feel if we don't see them post or in my mind the people that I know, they don't have to prove that to me. It's not they don't have to prove mm-hmm. it to me. I I don't it doesn't feel that type of way. Now them going out to the way to do that and encourage other people and spread and, and magnify, which is what we're trying to do with that stuff, is the reason why I think people want people to post. But like I, I didn't I, I don't even look for my friends to see if they I didn't even think to do that because I know where they stand. Like these are people that have been in my house. Our kids play together. Yeah. We've been friends for years. Like I don't I don't even like my mindset isn't ever in that manner if I wonder if they really like me or not. Like I've never had that feeling with any of the people of my any of my friends that aren't black. And that's where that negative thought of these last few months creeps in is everybody assumes the worst or some are assuming the worst, I should say. And that's people. And that's but that's that lets you know how big the majority of people who have never had a positive contact with somebody outside of their race is. And that's wild to even think about. Yeah. There's somebody who's 18 years old who's never had an interaction with a person outside of their race. That's that's been positive. And that's sad. Right and wrong is only. As strong as what you know. That's really the thing. Like, like people that are taught racism, like they think they're right. They don't know. They live with a bunch of other people that are racist. There's no people of color around them. <laughs> that's on purpose. And that's why it's good to experience different things. And, and for exactly. me, that's for why. me, I don't think anything about it. I, I my high school is probably I don't know forty percent black. So to me, I don't even think about it. Exactly. That's because you you know. <laughs> I was around it. Yeah. Even and around appreciated it. Like, there's a real it cutoff. Embraced it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a real cutoff and a real disconnect. There's kids and there's and this is not I'm not saying this is a fault to them. There's just it's their life that they were born into, just like the people right. that have been born into their situations have the things that we're dealing with, which is why we need to be able to find ways to connect with coaches. But there's a kid somewhere, like I said, that's eighteen, has never had a positive interaction with a person outside of his race there's another kid that's 18 about to go to an ivy league school that was born into money and has never been around people it's he just doesn't know he only know everything is taught every single thing that a power person like a, a child doesn't register fear until we teach it they don't register being sad they know how to exert an emotion when they're at half they laugh and they cry and everything else until we start to teach from watching from from context clues from everything so if you've never seen someone interact with a person outside of your race, you you walk a different way. And it's not it's on it's, it's because it's all, you know. And that's where experience and whatever you're talking about is yes. so critically important in all that. I'll admit there's it's awkward. There's no easy transition from yeah. that subject. I mean, there's no no that's way why around I tried it. To stop when I try to stop, like. <laughs> I'll try to do the best I can. But transitioning yeah, to something, yeah, to a more fun conversation. I figured and this we, is what it's for. This is why absolutely everything's happening for us to do this right now. So I'm good. I'm, you, I th- I'm thankful and I'm grateful for you even calling. Yeah, no, absolutely. And like I said, I mean, a real conversation like this probably deserves several hours. It can't be accomplished yeah. in 15 minutes or 45 yeah. minutes. But it is a start opening you know, people's eyes and Dialogue ears to all that. is all you want. Yeah, and that's where it needs to be productive. People listen. Shut, and that's mainly what I've tried to do is shut up, be mute, listen, and take it all in. Because there's stuff even I, I'll never be able to experience certain things. Um but let's make that awkward transition, I guess, now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll, I think I'll start maybe in high school. And for one, 
CJ, I always loved it when you were introduced because I think you have one of the great high school names from Skyline High School. <laughs> and I looked it up, the Raiders. Um, yeah. We Looking back, you're McDonald's All-American, top 20 recruit, but you were that last group, did not go to college. Um, right. When you look back at that time, how, how seriously did you consider going, I think, to the University of Texas? And do you feel like you were better off because of it, because you were able to go straight to the yeah. league? The sort of wildest thing about it is I had no intentions of going into the league until the deadline of the draft to leave your name in. Mm, okay. Like, I I didn't even know it was a possibility for real until the end of my senior basketball season. Like, I had no idea that there was scouts and people asking for film and all these things. My parents and my high school coach kept it from me. They just let me be a kid. They let me play basketball. They let me do my schoolwork. They let me pick, make my school decision. They let me do all of that. And I was thankful for that because I didn't lose that moment in time to something that might or might not happen. And that's um, really awesome because I think about kids today. What, what do you imagine your life would be like if you're getting – So I, that, was my, that was my next point. Yeah. Because there was no crazy social media platform and all that, I was able to not hear all the word on the street about whatever's going on all the time. Like there was no, nobody to pump my head from outside of my home with rumors of this and that, you know, you can get this, or you can get paid like this, or you can do this or you can do that. Like, you know what I mean? There's no, there's no influence of that type of nature like that. Don't get me wrong. The message boards and stuff are starting at that time yeah. and there's rankings, but that's the extent of it. They just articles about kids going to college because there's not a lot of kids doing that anyway, making the jump no more. Not, not successfully, not a lot. Like there's a couple that stick, you know what I mean? Um, right. LeBron, that just did it obviously, but that's, another story like that's another world <laughs> of situation um but um yeah like and then I did some workouts after my senior year and everything went fast I remember prom and I remember being at summer league in Salt Lake. like <laughs> that's incredible and, and I look back at your class and the type of guys for one one of your best friends John Mahimi's in that class which yeah, I totally forgot about though. funny story so like the Spurs are one of the teams that I thought that we thought was going to pick me. It was them, Utah, and like okay. another team that I kind of had, we had a really good feel about. And when they drafted Young, obviously I was like, what the hell is Young? Like, you know what I mean? Like, Cause I'm a Texas kid at the time, yep. you know? So like to be able to go to San Antonio to play, obviously it's the Spurs and be at home in the NBA, even close to home. And, and, and then I was going to Austin. So like, it was the same thing basically. Like, um, is that then, a pressure you would have liked though? Um, I, I think I, I think the pressure in the actual city I wouldn't have liked. Okay. In actual Dallas, like I, I don't think I would have liked it because I think just leaving my neighborhood and going right to the American Airlines Center would not like it would be too many hands out and people reaching to grab and wanting to be around and like your sense of loyalty. Yep. That's is, what is I saw with George over. George Hill. It's what I saw with Jeff yeah. Teague, and and I, I don't think most players want that as much as fans yeah. kind of clamor older. for it. And they were older and they didn't like it as much. Like, think about being 17 when you got to say yeah to everybody you feel like. Because everybody's older. And you don't know any better. <laughs> yeah, you don't know nothing. You're just like, this is what it's for. This is, And it is part of the reason why you grind so hard. Because you want to be able to do certain things for your people and, and help and, and change things. But people will take and take and take and take. And that's not, it's not a good situation to feel like you're in. Can you detail kind of what that's like just in general for an NBA player? Just everybody, I mean, it includes media requesting interviews and people yeah. wanting money and, hey, can you buy me a cell phone? Hey, can I get a car? Yeah. I mean, there's yeah, certain I, people you want to take care of, but it has yeah. to add up. Yeah, 100%. Like, 
Um, and then they don't realize, like, you get drafted. They think it's a million dollars in your pocket to go <laughs> get drafted also. Like, that's not the way it works. Especially I was a second-round pick. I didn't make a million dollars in my first two years. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and that's and that's just adding up before taxes are taken out, before agent fees, before my player fees, before I get an apartment to stay in, before I help my mom out with all the bills and everything and whatever we got. Like, now I'm stuck at like trying to just scrape up to save that first out of that first check and stuff. Curious because you also spent time in in the G League, and but you come across anybody that's heard you super confident, very comfortable in your own skin. Have you always been that way? <laughs> nah. <laughs> not at all actually. when was that transition then um it just I, I i built i i built my armor in the league i had to okay because when being as young as i was and and and, and, the, and the type of person i am or it was was as far as like wanting to make sure that i made like i, I I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a pleasing person like i want to make every, every not everybody to like me but i want everybody to be good so you want to raise all um, tides. I saw that. Absolutely. Yeah, you know what I mean? Like, um, so I think I used to, I used to suffer with if I felt like my teammates or my, or the fans, like I wasn't pulling my weight. I wasn't doing my job cause I worked extremely hard. And that was the thing I always wanted. I wanted to make people to know that I was grateful for the chance that I got because I knew how rare it is. And I feel like that every year I've been in the league, but like my biggest thing is like, I wanted to be able to never let, anyone down like it wasn't so much about me like if my job was to make this shot or that shot or that play or that crackback or that rebound or whatever and I feel like that you're gonna miss some obviously but I was consistently doing it that that would that was that hurt me and I and I went through a lot of things early in my career because of that mentally because I was fighting a battle of trying to prove myself to get enough minutes to be able to do what I felt like people wanted from me and at the same time, trying to figure out how to actually do it. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. And that was the hard part. What is the pressure like being in a contract here or coming off a, a big contract and doing what you just said, having to prove yeah. it? You're worth that yeah. value. It's a, um, in a contract year, it's a hard thing um, because, because it's a team sport and it's still a business. So you have to find a line of, a tad aggressive to make sure you showcase the things you continue to bring for your team with them being the scheme of the team. Yep. Because you have to do what you do and you have to do it well. And you have to showcase that. And you have to do that every year, but like the contract year puts weight on it because we know how sports go. You're as good as your last game. There's plenty of guys who have played, who've been on three year contracts and been terrible for two years and played one year good and got another <laughs> four year deal. Off oh yes. That's no disrespect. It's just the way it is. Like it's happened because now you're giving them a vision of they can only go off of what you just gave them and what they think who you fit the next year. Like that's just the way that's that's the way it goes. That's how we play it. So you know that you know there's some pressure on it, and you know and you've seen guys' games change in that last year. You've seen them like maybe even mess up their careers over them. And the thing that <laughs> that that stands out to me and all that is a guy like yourself. I envision uh, your guy. That's strictly not the numbers. You're the, the selfish guy in the locker room. You're the guy doing whatever the coach asks. You're the guy doing things away from the ball, which aren't tangible numbers, which don't show up in the box mm-hmm. score. So if a, a basic fan tries to equate value with stats, it, it just doesn't work. I think for a player like yourself. And that's um, I think my knowledge knowledge itself is what really cured all of that. Okay. Like knowing who I am and what I do and what I can do and what I'm supposed to do 
And then at the same time, as I got older and I, and you're always, I'm so, I'm so hard on myself. And then you start to get to a point where you start to actually think about the things you actually done. And I told somebody this recently, like, if I really want to be real about it from a hooping standpoint, like just playing basketball, I had two of the, I had two people solidify me as a basketball player that should never let nobody outside of the game hinder my thoughts. I had Jerry Sloan and I had Larry Bird sit in front of me at a table and tell me that I deserve to be on their team. I don't really need a lot of validation from nobody else like that don't do what I do. You know what I mean? Completely. Yeah, when you have those so, guys speaking up for you. Exactly. Two so, Hall of Famers. <laughs> that's I've, I've been around two of the greatest people to ever touch this game. So, And I think if, if, if them people who don't lie, we know, <laughs> who don't hold their tongue, neither one of them held their tongue about the good or the bad with me. Larry Bird sat in the gym and watched me work out for a whole summer, a whole offseason. Every day, it was just me and Mike and Larry Bird. He would work out. He would do his little run on a, or elliptical or whatever. He would yes. pull his chair up. He would sit right at half court every morning. I stayed in downtown Indianapolis, and he was in the gym every day. And for him to do that was another thing for me, too. It, it let me know how much he respected the amount of work that I did. How rare is that to get – Straight up candor from from an executive, from a head coach, the the kind of info that you want. Forget forget the executive and head coach from the legend, from Larry Legend. <laughs> like it's the, for me, it's the basketball. I don't even care. I'm not gonna say I don't care about it, but like that's what the weight is for me. Sure, because this is the person that I looked up to as the game. Watch NBA classes to see the games. I studied him as a plate. Like this is what I took from that. So, like. His respect from that is enough. And then all of a sudden, his obviously his basketball mind and everything he did after that is being a coach, being coach of the year one year, yep. having a great team, um, lets you know how, how his mind transcends in the game because a lot of guys are really good players and can't coach. Then how much, I'm curious, did this influence you your time with the Pacers um, in terms of coming here and, and being with the roster? Um, I, I like the team already. Obviously, he, he definitely put icing on the cake when he sat okay. at the table. It was, it was, it was crazy because... We sat down, and I, it was really simple. Like we, I came to Indiana with my agent. We sat down at Capitol Grill downtown. Standard. Um, yeah, and he, he, you know, they bring the potato chips out. <laughs> he picked the whole thing up. He's eating them like he's. It's like closer to him. He's eating them like he's just t- popping them like we in a backyard somewhere. He was like, I really don't want to even talk about all that number stuff. I, I watch guys play. I watch enough basketball. I've seen you play. I feel like you can play. I know you can play. You can help us. And he didn't really have to say much after that to me. And, of course, we talked about everything after that because I knew where I was coming to, too. I had played against this team. They were the best team in the East the year before. They murdered everybody for a couple of years now. I had seen the growth. I seen, And I felt like what I did helped that team off the bench. And then, of course, it, the roster changes and Paul getting hurt and everything changed yeah. a little bit. But but then that that brought more out of me too because that year me and George Hill had to do things that we wouldn't have been asked to do. Yeah, you came in after they made back-to-back uh, appearances in the Eastern Conference Finals. Exactly. And you're rookie or not rookie, you're your first year with the Pacers is Paul's injury there. Um yeah. is that really where your your bond with G Hill started having to come together or was, was it just your personalities meshed so well? It was it was just a lot. Of it. it was mostly personality like um and like those are the first guys that I got. Cause like, even though I was younger, I was in my twenties, but I was, I was still like, you know, I was the youngest person on my team for in Utah for the longest time. Even when I got to year seven, I'm 24 going on 25. Like, 
And then I got called a vet for the first time for real in, in Cleveland. And I felt like this is my first step outside of you. So I'm really still figuring it out. I had just had the, the number of years, but like if I went to college and came out, it would be my third year. Yeah. My fourth year. Like, you know what I mean? And it was looked at different because it's now it's my eighth. <laughs> it's my seventh. It's my eighth. And when I got to Indiana, I feel like that's when that knowledge itself really had, I had figured it out. And him and Jan were people around the same age. They're also coincidence. Their wives now were both from Texas. My girlfriend who I got engaged to in Indiana was from Texas. So they got along. So even if we didn't like each other, we didn't have a choice anyway. <laughs> Um, but yeah, we just kind of, we just kind of linked and that we respected each other's work ethic and everything else to the point where we lived 10 minutes from each other in San Antonio. Like, and that's where you all, all season together. That's where I, what, yeah. that's what I love about it. And this is after not being on the same team for three years now. Mm-hmm. That's where those relationships never end, which is yeah. awesome to see. Did you realize in Cleveland that you were kind of known as a Pacers killer? Did you realize that? And I, I knew I had some really good games. Like yeah. I, I, I was aware of that for that team because it was one of those. It was one of those gems. If I was struggling a little bit for a couple of games, and I saw that on the schedule, I knew I was coming out of it that night. Even though that doesn't make sense, it's a mental thing, obviously. But it was, it was, it was easier to come out of it that night because I had a history of shooting well and playing well in that gym, and it always brought it out. And I knew, and I, and I knew Lance didn't like to chase people around screens. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. But at the same time, I didn't like to guard him dancing with the ball either. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. It's fascinating when Lance is here because it's always entertaining. It's never dull yeah. around here. I thought we were very close about to get him again this year. And I was like, ooh, really? is the third time going to be the charm? After he went I away thought, after a I couple years. I thought the second time he, was, he wasn't going anywhere again. I didn't either, but this time at least I couldn't blame him in that. I mean, the opportunity to play. He is he Hollywood. Is. To play with LeBron and have a chance at a ring that enticed you a little bit. So I didn't blame him as much. The first time was a whole debacle. Um, where just, the first time was wild because they thought my signing would hindered him coming back that I, I was told by people that knew. And that was kind of why he, he kind of felt like they were moving on because they thought he was going to get paid too much, which wasn't the case. Like I was always intended to come off the bench. They told me that at the meeting that I had, that they were trying to bring Lance back. The year he left the first time. Yep. At my meeting, they told me they were bringing Lance back. So, like, I didn't come there thinking I was taking his spot. And I thought some people talked to me and thought that that was a miscommunication that they thought happened. Yeah, and this is where, in my mind, and Larry set a fine fine number for Lance, told him we're not going to go any higher. And both his agent and dad thought, no, 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 you're worth more than that. So he turned down $44 million guaranteed. And if I remember right, he still hasn't made that up. Uh, in the year since and is currently out of the league. So that's where you talk about listening to, to others and bad advice. In my mind, that's that's certainly the problem there, and I, I was think, surprised. Like, one of the things that – I've had the same age in my whole career, Billy Seichel. One of the things that, like, obviously, like, I'm not going to talk like I've been getting offered $50 million at a time and things like that, but, like, one of the things still in my realm of the, the deals that I've gotten, we never made a decision solely off money, ever. Like, it would have to be a drastically – like, it would have to be $10 million difference or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, Yeah, and I don't think when, that was when the When I don't case. live a lifestyle, yeah. I don't live a lifestyle where I'm solely dependent on <laughs> – like, that's what I'm after all the time. But I, I'm not going to say I would, be, I would be stupid and turn down money. But, I mean, when it's close and it's, like, give or take a reasonable amount, like, I'm not 
going to try to squeeze out more to get to a place that just because of the money. I, we always dissect everything by by how it's going to fit and how how the organization made you feel because I got to be happy. I got to have some type of motivation to want to be in that gym every day. Like if it, if it don't matter how much I love basketball, if the, if the organization and the situation is toxic. That is or real, for man. me. If yeah. it's toxic for me, for me, it might not be toxic for everybody, but if it don't work for me, then like I can't give you what you want from me. So now we got another problem because now you feel like I'm getting over. You might feel like I just don't care no more and I just can't figure it out. Yeah. And then it's a disconnect with the fans. Then it's a disconnect <laughs> with the front office. And that's how stuff happens. And that's why I always wanted to make sure that I I looked at it mentally and and physically. Money has to be a, a big factor, but not the only factor, obviously. Yeah. But And this is where, you know, in his case specifically, you have to value fit and where you're appreciated. Larry, a couple yeah. of years before that, with I think both Paul and Danny Granger, I remember this, where he was in the best locker room, says our best, most talented player is Lance Stevenson. And this was before he even broke out. So you had a guy that believed in you. Anyway, enough of, uh, enough about Lance. I wanted to get back to you, even though that's another fun conversation, yeah. including his battles in a contract year with Evan Turner, those sorts of things. Um, <laughs> those are the things you laugh about years later. But um, I guess this year, how difficult has it been for you basketball-wise in terms of you got traded to a team that had no playoff hopes realistically and more than anything, individually, you had health issues where you needed surgery, and then you're off the team and away from basketball. That seems like such a, a mental hurdle more than anything. It's been it's been wild, but I always try to look at everything for everything that it could be yeah. and can be. The one of the things that – so, like, I haven't been away from basketball, like not played a game pro- this long probably since I was four years old. You know what I mean? Like, like this is something I've been doing my entire life, and this is the first time. Like I had two surgeries in a season. I had well in a year, um, and they were minor, but they were things that they had to heal. Like I had to let them. Like I'm fine. I've been rehabbing and I'm working out, and I'm I'm gonna be fine. But it was just terrible timing. And then to have your and, craft taken away from you. Yeah, that's what I was, and it was hard mentally because now, you know, there's there's a space, there's a big space that it's different when you're ready to go. You know what I mean? When you're ready to not be around it, but I'm not. Never was. <laughs> so, like, it was taken. It wasn't like I walked away and, and was looking for something to feel it. It was just snatched from under my feet, it felt like. And then it happened again when I came back. And mentally, I, 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 I this is why I encourage guys to have things away from the floor, hobby-wise, any type of thing that you have interest in and whether it make you money or not. I'm not saying go waste money on it, but things that make you happy, that keep you sane. Because I had to lean on, I'm a, I'm a reader, I'm a writer, I'm a creator. So I had to lean on that more than ever to keep myself from, you know, I had to put that in energy somewhere. Because if you keep it inside, it'll eat you alive. Has it been a lot yeah. of music and reading for you? Yeah, music, reading, writing. And obviously my daughter, Absolutely. my wife. Like being home as much as I've been able to be has been a blessing because we were, we were pregnant. We were about to have a kid. And the beginning of the pregnancy was tough. But I got to be home every day. My wife wasn't feeling well. It was it, it was not like life threatening tough, but just tough on her physically getting, you know, prepared to make a life. <laughs> yeah. Um so me being home with a terrible two year old to help <laughs> every day was amazing. And then in the end of it, when the way the league stopped, when everything the pandemic broke out and everything, I was home already. 
I wasn't traveling around. I wasn't running around worried about if I was bringing that back to my wife because I had to go to work. Like I didn't have that on my mind. I remember talking to Fred Van Fleet when they were getting tested. I literally was outside washing my car. <laughs> okay. Like not to make light of what was going on, but I'm yeah. just saying like I, I, I got to be already kind of away and I didn't have that scare. I didn't have that worry. And, I, and that, that scared me for a bunch of people that I knew, especially the guys in the league in general, but especially the ones I know because I know they have kids. I know they have a wife. I know their kids. I know their wife. And for that to have to affect them is terrifying. Yeah. I mean, I know a player right now, it's not public, but he got the virus from his daughter who got it from their nanny. And those are the circumstances I don't think a lot of people know about or even consider. Yeah. There's like, hey, yeah, yeah, go do your job. That's what you're paid to do. And it's way more yeah. complex than that, yeah. <laughs> than people get like, into. That's the thing that I feel like sometimes gets disrespected. Sometimes. Some people, and a lot of people get it more because social media has allowed us to be more open about our lives and our families and, and making it more relatable to. But the money disconnect always is always a thing because we live in a country where a lot of people don't have money. So they feel like if you make money, it should be no problem to do whatever it is to make money. If that makes sense. Yeah. There's always that judgment in the comparison. Yeah. And I don't think that's, I don't think that's fair at all. Like, I mean, I, and, and, and it makes light of the amount of work that had to be done to get to the position in the first place. I feel like sometimes, but I think, because of the state of the world that we live in and disconnect the money with that when and because they publicize the contracts, they publicize how much you make because that's part of the 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 thing that keeps fans riled up too, because it's conversation. And that's where fans it. have I'm, moved towards now. They care yeah. more about the transaction game. I think it yeah. provides the hope. That's what I've always said. It provides hope, whereas if your team is no good right now, you can look ahead. Yeah, and then you get so we get a guy that they feel like is worth a hundred million dollars, he must be good. He must be able to help us. And and I, I get it. Like I said, I understand. Like, I understand the whole thing. I know it's a business. I understand the way the whole thing works. It's just sometimes it feels like as a guy in the league, if they if another guy was in your position averaging the same 10 points, shooting whatever from whatever, it wouldn't matter. And that kind of – and in certain situations, that does not feel good because you work extremely hard to be in the platform you are. You're talking about life after basketball. How about our boy G Hill going off and getting himself a ranch? There's Man. that story uh, in ESPN Man. detailing that. But one that doesn't exactly surprise me, he's always been kind of a country boy at heart, loves country 100%. music, yeah. those sorts of things. But this was a bold move. I know like when he was here, he talked about he was fed up that there was no bait and tackle shops in Geist where he, he and Paul George live. So he, yeah. I remember talking with him. He was like, yeah, man, I'm thinking about – building one or launching my own place never did that but did you have these conversations with him uh, as he was i i, mean, I knew about, about the ranch i knew the ranch thing was coming because we've been in texas do, during the summer so like we had been talking about it um and i was around around when he first bought it and it was just it's just like a piece of wakanda out there so it's like this big massive piece of land that you, it's like it appeared out of nowhere like it's so untouched like it's hard to find that you know a lot of places but Texas is one of the places that has some really great, lush, hill country spots, and he, and he's living his dream out there. Like it make he loves it. Like it's a, it's a, this is like what I'm talking about. It's a peace of mind for mm-hmm. him. Like, and this is something that'll continue to be peace of mind even when basketball's gone, and and it's wealth to pass down to your children, trade to pass down to your children, things you have to be taught, and that's another thing that that goes into, um, being a role model and a leader of your home, like. 
equipping people with skills that they can use in case of anything happening. I was always surprised when we we talk about current events in terms of sports, and, and George was like, "Dude, I don't watch the Super Bowl. I don't really like sports. Yeah. I much rather yeah. go play in the the uh, you know these kids. I don't even know what they're called, but um, like where they're throwing balls and little things like this and jump around. Yeah. He much yeah. rather be that kid at heart." Then watch the Super Bowl or watch the Final Four, and that was always fascinating to me because he was a professional basketball player. Yeah, he's 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 a great dude, man. Yeah. He's a great father, great husband. He's been he's been it's been amazing to 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 know him in the league because you meet a lot of guys, and, and like I don't mean to say like I don't mean to say talk bad about, but you meet you meet people that you just don't click with. Your views aren't the same. I shouldn't say views, but y'all just don't see things in a manner that you can understand personally y'all can figure out how to work together yeah and then there's guys that that might just hate you and you might not like him and there's all these things and like and then you make friends but they kind of only stick as far as the season goes but to be able to meet these people and be deeply rooted with them and know them personally and be able to work with them it made it made basket it makes basketball that much better you know what i mean because it's another one of the things that is given you like it took us to london it took us to all these different places it met it let us meet all these people it allowed us to help all these people and i think that's the greatest thing for me at the end of my career now like when i think about it's all the stuff i've been able to do besides that because it started off with just for me because i wanted to play basketball as that simple was as that yeah yeah that was it like i love to play basketball and it's still like that but now i know everything that comes with it and it makes the hard work even better because the hard work is what got me to a place to be able to do it do you, envision, do you envision or you'll remain in basketball in some capacity afterward? Because I could see you, if you wanted, to be some kind of executive or scout because your eye for, for talent and building relationships, you could do a player relations role, or um, you would ex- obviously be excellent TV, radio, in the broadcast realm. So the broadcasting thing, I, we talk about it all the time. I, my thing right now is like, I think when, I'm, when I actually am ready to stop playing, I don't know if I want to keep the same schedule that I'll have. You know what I mean? I would want to take that time to be able to – to live like in a space where I don't have to worry. Obviously I'm, I'm not a person that can sit, but like to have a space where I'm kind of like, this is happening. That's cool. I might try that. You know what I mean? Like not really have to be in a, in a, in a, in a, in a schedule type of mindset, but I want to coach. I don't know if I want to coach in the NBA. Cause it's the same thing. Like I said, I don't know right. if I want that schedule with my kids or having young kids, but we'll see. You never know. Like, I want to be involved in the game. I think I've learned a lot. I've ha- I picked a lot of basketball minds. I played a lot of basketball. I- I've-, I've developed a way to be able to communicate with people. And that's one of the things that I think that, that why I've gotten people asking me about if I want to coach, because that's a skill that I've, I've sharpened because I wanted to be able to, because that's one of the things that I- I'm passionate about is not to go back to what we talked about in the beginning, but mending these bridges. And I can't, you can't do that if you can't communicate with different people, which means you got to learn, you got to listen, but you got to listen to learn. And that's what anybody in any type of situation. Did you feel like uh, during your time in Indy, one of my biggest takeaways was that season where you were basically playing, oh, there we get live action with Ava. I love it. (laughs) Hold on. Daddy's almost done. I promise. I love it. Last couple things. Can you say hi? Hi. Hi, Ava. (laughs) Say, how are you? How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Say, I'm doing good. I feel good. Say, I just finished my dinner. I finished my dinner. 
<laughs> and that's what it's all about right there. I Say, love talk it. Talk to you later. Talk to you later. Okay. All right. See you, I'll Ava. come get you in a little bit, okay? Okay. All right. Go get mommy. <laughs> Lauren's going to kill me for keeping you here. But, uh, nah. I think I can hear. She was in there. They were eating together. So Okay. We'll let them have yeah. that bonding time then. I, yeah. th- th- when thinking back to your time in Indianapolis, one of the sticking points or memorable things is when you played the four. Never complained about uh-huh. it, at least publicly. Paul really didn't want to, and that never really worked out. And you selfishly kind of gave up your body at that four position. Um, what was that time like for you as you – I played out of position, but excelled in, in doing what the team asked of you. That, that was hard. It was hard from a for a little bit in the beginning. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. It was hard. It was harder in hindsight. In the beginning, like that's that was my mindset is do whatever I'm asked to do. Like that's my job. Yeah. As a teammate, like the better I am, the better you are. The better you are, the better I am. So if they feel like this makes us better and can possibly help me and make the team better, then there's no question. Like. Um, it was just tougher because the league hadn't really got to that point yet. <laughs> so like Zach Randolph came in a couple years Zach early. Came in. Like, so like, um, but, but at the same time, like as a leader, how can I, or as a person that want to win, how can I be asking people to buy in standing beside me? And I won't buy in. Like, I won't do what they are asking me to do. So how am I expect the person next to me to do what they asking him to do? Like I can't, I can't talk to you about that if I'm defined too. I gotta fix. That's the knowledge of self thing I always talk about with it. And I knew more than anything, I wanted to win. I wanted us to win, so it doesn't matter. It didn't, and it, it did. It, it did. It did hurt a little bit later Your on. Your body would disagree. Yeah, yeah. I just bro- I broke down because it was from a selfish standpoint. It hurt because I had prepared so hard for that season to do what I had did the year before. Which is play the two three alongside Paul and G Hill and be and I was ready for that. Like that was this summer that Larry was in the gym the whole time with me. I was ready. I had got myself healthy. I had like a little a lot of bit of ailing injuries that allowed me from getting into my peak shake the year before. And then I did it that summer. We got everything right. I stayed there for that reason, to be able to give everything I could. And it just happened to be that they needed me to give everything at that spot. And that is, and by the end of the year, I was playing the two. Like, like it was just, um, but I don't, I don't regret anything about it because that's what we trying to teach the game. That's what we trying to teach. Mm-hmm. That's what we trying to get the people under us to learn. You want to, anything you want to pass back, you want to further the game and, 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 and doing anything to win is a staple to keep the game integrity the way it is, especially with the way we talk about with these kids being brought up famous by the time they're 14. That's a whole different issue. That is quite quite yeah, yeah. wild no, right know. now with TikTok and everything. So I will say one thing about that. Okay. The, the biggest problem about that is that a lot of people want to be basketball players, but a lot of people don't want to play basketball. Mm. So meaning, yeah. obviously you know what I mean, but I'm just like, they. it's cool. It gets me this. It gets me that. I get free shoes. I get this. I have, a, I have some natural talent, of course, to get to a certain spot, but like to play basketball, to be able to separate and to be somewhere, to be to, not to toot my but to be somewhere for fifteen years, when there's when there's at least sixty people coming in every year, trying to take that gotta, job from you. You yep. got to play basketball. You got to breathe it. You got to eat it. You got to sleep it to a certain extent. And I don't think that a lot of them dudes want to do that because it's not pretty. 
lot of sacrifices have to be made, and that's why I love a lot the, of sacrifices. That's the quote. Why I love the quote. I, I first heard JJ Reddick say it, but you've never arrived; you're always becoming. And that makes me think of a lot of these guys right now. Hey, I got millions of followers, or I even remember you. Uh, I remember the great photo Lauren tweeted out. You had so many letters from colleges, and I can't imagine what it's like for players today just being bombarded with social media because you get the letters from the school and you're getting all the people on the street that know you like they know lebron like his kids they know like nba players like yeah some of them they know more <laughs> honestly there's kids you probably we walked in a, in a place they was they would know that kid before they knew me for sure zion we knew on we youtube right <laughs> exactly on a totally different note, do you do you think it was an advantage being left-handed? Is it an advantage being left-handed? I think there's some advantages to it just cuz because of the amount. I think it plays a factor like in just your approach. We, we, you get so muscle memory is a big part of sport and I think you get caught in the way you close out or get caught in the way you do certain things just from habit of guarding a lot of people and I think it's in the scout report and yeah. There's going to be moments you're going to be reacting and it's not going to register. Um, and then I, I don't know. I think other than that, I think it's just about understanding the game and angles. And like the first person that I really thought in my eyes, this is not the first person ever that I really saw that had an advantage because he was left-handed growing up was Mono Ginobili. Like I thought if he was right-handed, none of that stuff would have worked. <laughs> like I felt like, he was the most, he always, in the beginning, he always looked like he was falling down. He always looked like he was out of control. And then the Euro step came and it was, he was at the basket or his pump fake happened. Or he just seemed like he made people so uncomfortable because it was so unorthodox. And that was the first time I thought of it in that manner. Before I just, you know, I just happened to have a left hand. I just happened to be left-handed. Did anyone try to shame you? And No, no, that's the wrong way. You need to be right-handed. Did that ever happen? Nah. Okay. People were more excited about it than anything, honestly. When you were in Indiana, did you ever go to David West's house? I did not. Okay. I don't think so. I, I asked that because the great story he never wanted out there was it was Peyton Manning's house. And I was always curious what it was like. That's all. Oh, I, I, I think I, I think I was told that, but I never went. No. Okay. Like well, I think the real estate I think a real estate person slipped up and said it. <laughs> but no, I never went. You know, D West was a very uh to himself guy. To an extent, not not like he doesn't want you around or anything, but it's just like you know he's very cerebral, very in touch with every tries to be in touch with everything going on. So he's quiet because he's listening, he's paying attention. But when he speaks, he's one of the few people like that I'll remember forever. No matter where he was at in the arena, I you heard his voice <laughs> on the bench in the locker room in the you can, you knew it was him too. Yeah. Uh, his his voice, I think, along with yours as well during that stretch, carried a lot of weight um, because you brought a different perspective. You don't just talk to talk. If you're going to talk if you have something to say is is how I viewed it. That's, I mean, that's that's where I stand with it. That's the way I like to be. That's the way I feel like that's the best way to be I, for me because it allows me to, to have something to say when I say because I'm paying attention to what's going on. I'm learning. I'm reading. I'm doing whatever. And and if I don't know about it, how could I know about it if I'm talking during the time that people are talking about it? Yeah. No, man, this was awesome. I really appreciate you taking time. So much uh, ground we covered. And um, we wish you well getting a new job and staying back in the NBA. We want to see you back in the league, all right? 
I appreciate that, man. Thank you a lot. Thank you for calling me. Thank you for the conversation. It was great. I loved it. Uh, I miss you guys in Indy, man. That was that's some of the best three years of my life. I tell people that all the time. That's not me saying it because we're on the phone. I tell everybody it felt like home, and I think that's why I was able to have the success I had there. And it was no, and it never felt like I was giving up anything when I had to get asked to do stuff because I wanted to. And it's funny because you experienced two of the the quieter, dull cities as people think about, right? Salt Lake City <laughs> and Indianapolis in your career. I was in Cleveland too. Oh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. And then you got there's one of no the best. Disrespect. In there's no disrespect to these cities. It's just compared to some other cities. Right. Obviously. Absolutely. Like, I just don't want nobody hitting me up like, "Yo, you." I, I had I enjoyed every spot I've been in. I've learned. I've grown in all those places. You're one to make I, the like, most of wherever your feet are. I think. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's that's what you should do. Like, if I'm too busy worried about what I could have got, did this and that, then you missed the like. I could have been upset about a lot of things over my career that wouldn't have meant wouldn't have meant anything in the grand scheme of things. But like I, I I think of it as I got taken to Salt Lake, I got taken to Cleveland, I got taken to Indiana, where my now wife got to be around her family, her grandmother that she wasn't getting to see, who's older for a long time, and now we down the street from her. Like all these things that were given to me through basketball, I got to experience Canada. I had a, a daughter in who's a dual citizen. Like yeah. it's just it's so much things, so many things that happen because of this. Like yeah. life wise, it out it drowns out any disappointments from little stuff of somebody talking trash to me or somebody or me missing a shot. Like I'm not like, I'm going to make everyone like, you know? Um, and you met Lauren in Salt Lake city, right? So there, there's that memory as well. So, so yeah, which is wild. Like her, like I met her through a friend and then I was in Salt Lake. And then all of a sudden we find out well, I found out her best friend lives in Salt Lake. What are the odds of that? I don't know, but yeah, like, and then they, they, she came to visit her friend, and that was the first time in a group setting, obviously, because she didn't know me, that we got to really hang out. And from there is, is history. That's amazing. Good stuff, man. As I said on Twitter, you always have an open invitation. Um, we love hearing from you. So, Thank you, man. Thank you so much. What a fun conversation with CJ there. And uh, he's a guy I certainly miss in the locker room, both – Watching him play, but more specifically, honestly, being one of the go-to quotes that was dependable in the locker room. Previously, over this last decade, we've really been blessed with at least one guy, it seems like, every single year. Right now, it's Justin Holiday, no doubt about it. Doug McDermott, also outstanding in years past. We've gone from guys like Luis Scola to David West to Jan Mahimi to C.J. Miles and right now, um, Justin Holiday. so... My thanks to CJ for jumping on this podcast. We did this about a couple weeks before his baby daughter, his second daughter, was born. So congrats to him and Lauren on their great news and a healthy baby girl. And so that's terrific news for them. And uh, I was glad I was able to finally get this one out. As I said at the jump, this was a podcast I recorded a month ago, the day before I was uh, laid off by The Athletic, but this was too much of a good conversation and an important conversation, so glad I could finally share it with you. Subscribe if you haven't already to the Fieldhouse Files on all the major platforms to listen to both new and archive episodes, and I'll talk to you again soon.